जय राधा माधव कुंज Hari Bo, Hari Bo, Hari Bo, Hari Bo, 
All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Gauda Premanande. Haribo. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya having devotees move closer thing, right? Yeah. So um, if you want to just move up like a little grade and then anyone else who comes in, you can just let them know. Well, they'll see you, but if they don't get the hands, you can let them know verbally. It makes for a, a better hearing and chanting experience. Reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 4, Satik puts her body, hint, hint, text 22. And our verses now available in large print on the screen. Maybe is that is that more contrast? Can you guys read that? We can turn out this other thing. That's okay. Ish. Okay. Naitina Dehina Hare Kritagasu. Dehud Pavanet, Dehud Pavainalam, Alam Pujanmana, Rida, Mabhut, Kujana, Prasangitas, Taj, Janma, Tig, Yo, Mahatam, Avadjakrut. Nineteen a day in a rig tagasu. They would have a na lamalam pujan mana. Read a mama put pujana prasangatas. Nineteen a day in a hurry, Kutagaso. They would have been alamalam pujanmana. Read amama put pujana prasangatas.
not Athena. By this, Dehina, by the body, Hare to Lord Shiva, Kruta Agasaha, having committed offenses, Deha Udbhavena, produced from your body. Alam, alam, enough, enough. How do you say enough, enough in Sanskrit? Alam, alam. So, if only that worked in our city in Prashada. Alam, alam. They don't, they don't listen. Gujanmana, with a contemptible birth. Rira, shame. Mama, my. Abhu, from a relationship with a bad person. That birth. Pick. Shameful. Who? Of the great personalities. An offender. Transition of purport by his divine grace as he bhakti out the song of Srila Translation. Sukhi is speaking here, Father Daksha. You are an offender at the lotus feet of Lord Shiva. And unfortunately, I have a body produced from yours. I am very much ashamed of our bodily relationship, and I condemn myself because my body is contaminated by a relationship with a person who is an offender at the lotus feet of the greatest personality. Please repeat. You are an offender at the lotus feet And unfortunately, I have a body produced from yours. I am very much ashamed of our bodily relationship. And I condemn myself because my body is contaminated by a relationship with a person who is an offender at the lotus feet of the greatest personality. Lord Shiva is the greatest of all devotees of Lord Vishnu. It is stated, Shambhu. Shambhu, Lord Shiva, is the greatest of all devotees of Lord Vishnu. In the previous verse, Sati has described that Lord Shiva is always in a transcendental position because he is situated in pure Vasudeva. Vasudeva is that state from which Krishna, Vasudeva, is born. So Lord Shiva is the greatest devotee of Lord Krishna and Sati's behavior is exemplary because no one should tolerate blasphemy against Lord Vishnu or his devotees. Sati is aggrieved, not for her personal association with Lord Shiva, but because her body is related with that of Daksha, who is an offender at Lord Shiva's lotus feet. She feels herself to be condemned because of the body given by her father, Daksha. Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manopishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Praja Mahyam Vidati Stapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamanam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamsya Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahavanarpanatam Sagvaitam Savatrutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhantamcha Hey Krishna Karuna Sindho Dina Bandho Jagatpate Rupe Shrutika Kancha Radha Kancha Namurtite Taptakanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rushupana Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha Kalpaturukshascha Kripasam Kriti Evacha Patitanam Pavane Pyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gauda Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama
Shropada's translation again, you are an offender, like the lotus feet of Lord Shiva, and unfortunately I have a body produced from yours. I am very much ashamed of our bodily relationship and I condemn myself because my body is contaminated by a relationship with a person who is an offender at the lotus feet of the greatest person in history. So with your permission, blessings, we'll explore this verse in purport. So <clears throat> what we're seeing here is a reaction of disgust. And disgust is a, a, a universal um, experience, so much so that across cultures, if you um, like photograph people displaying a physical expression of revulsion or disgust, people from different cultures with different languages, completely different subtle bodies and ways of looking at the world can actually interpret that. It's, uh, it's programmed into the subtle body of the human being. And I'll use it in other animals and stuff too. Um, it's a very primal reaction. So we're gonna talk about disgust and how to use it in Krishna's service. Uh, what we're actually seeing here is, um, is not exactly disgust in the way that we think of, because as Prabhupada points out, this is the worst kind of offense. Um, her father, Maharaj Daksha, who was materially very advanced, actually um, committed a great operat against Vaishnavam Yatashram Puri. The 12th canto says, Nimnagaham Yata Ganga, just like the Ganga is the greatest of all rivers. Devanam Achutoyata, just like Achuta, Krishna, the greatest of all worshipable deities. Vaishnavam Yata Shampu, and just like of all Vaishnavas, Shampu is the best. Purananam Idamtatam, just like that, this Purana is the best of all Puranas last chapter of Bhagavatam. So Lord Shiva is quoted there as being the best of all devotees. He's a fantastic devotee. He's glorified in so many places. One which is of note is the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Anybody who wants to know more about, Prabhupada says, anybody who wants to know about, more about devotees and devotional service must read that book. So after we've read Prabhupada's books thoroughly enough that we have the authorization of our gurus, we should approach the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. And there's a nice section, a whole chapter with uh, Lord Shiva being glorified and then humbly passing the glorification upwards. And there's a lot of uh, description of his glories. So moving aside from that, I'm not gonna really touch so much on the point of Vaishnava Parad. It's there in other purports. We've talked about it and we'll continue to talk about it. I'm gonna talk a little bit about disgust in general. So It's a, it's a universal experience, it's a, it's a material experience, we all have some ex experience, some uh, connection with, and we pointed out that the, the physical manifestation of disgust, just the revulsion, the, the, the expression on the face is something everyone can recognize. Now, <coughs> generally, that has to do with just material circumstances, that which is materially good and materially bad. Um, now, from a transcendental perspective, material circumstances are ultimately meaningless. But for one who doesn't have transcendental perspective, they don't know they're not the body. And ultimately they don't know that they're a, Krish, a Krishna's devotee, a servant of Krishna, the Supreme Person. Then they have to be trapped by the dualities of the material world. That's inevitable for them. So that's 99.9% .9 of all human beings when we speak of other living beings who can't even begin to approach the platform of I'm not my body. So therefore you have karma. You have this path of karma. Do good things, good, karmically good things, pure things, and avoid the impure. And um, one who is in this mentality, which by the way is already more advanced than being indifferent to purity and purity, to being indifferent to becoming impure by doing impure things. One who actually comes to this level of noticing that there's a difference between being, let's say, waking up and taking a shower versus waking up and not taking a shower start to cultivate the mode of goodness, they can approach this platform and they will be more and more interested in purifying their experience, their body, their circumstances, the people around them, the physical space they're in, in terms of the material mode of goodness and reducing the material modes of passion and ignorance. So 
when that takes a more refined shape, you get spiritual and religious processes that are very interested in purity and have a lot to do with purity. And they make a lot of one's birth and of taking your bath um, multiple times a day and of keeping the body and the physical space clean and doing things as much as possible appropriately for the time of day. Because on the material platform, the time of day, the place, the circumstances, who you associate with, um, the country you're in, you know, these kinds of things actually have uh, varying degrees of relevance to purity. In fact, for persons who are very strict followers um, of not Sanatan Dharma, but the, the general baseline material Dharma of the Vedas, but who are interested only in material purity, uh, it used to be, and perhaps it still is in some places, the case that persons who thought that way would be very careful not to step on the shadow of any person who actually had an impure, subtle body. Because by that association, they could actually become uh, contaminated on the subtle platform. Their mind can become contaminated. Just like if you can, ever had this experience, you just remember like, if you ever walk into a room where there's been like an argument or perhaps some violence, the space is actually contaminated. You can actually feel it if it's intense enough. It disturbs the mind. So there are more and more and more subtle manifestations of that. And one who's very interested in staying materially pure will actually be avoiding stepping on, even on the shadow of a person who's like in a bad mood or is physically sick. These, these different kinds of considerations can be there. But in case we haven't noticed yet, this is the fallen age. This is Kali Yuga. Um, the consideration of not, not stepping on somebody's shadow because they may have, uh, they may not be in the most pure mood kind of goes out the window pretty quickly when the most baseline of human uh, activities are rejected and the most obvious and degrading of human misactivities are embraced and glorified in society. Um, you know, there are days here in Denver where you can go out and you can smell on the air the smell from the rendered flesh of cows. And it's actually like, you can't get away from it. You know, it's like, you remember, this is, this is Kali Yuga. I'm actually living in a city that permeates itself occasionally with the smell of slaughtered cows. Like, when you're living in that kind of environment, worrying about the details of uh, material cleanliness and impurity um, becomes absurd. Um, not that material considerations are completely thrown aside, but we can't take it to the level of detail and refinement that uh, perhaps our more purified ancestors and persons in other ages could and would. And that's not our path. But still, the, um, the reaction, revulsion, disgust is there. So we're seeing that with Sati. She's revolted. She's disgusted by her own body. And because the tattva is, you get your body from your parents, actually. She knows she's not her body. That's important. But at the same time, she has to live in it, and she's disgusted by it because this connection with an impure personality, who's so impure, actually, the, the offense is so great that she considers, I don't even want to live in this body anymore. Better I die. So at the, um, at the pure Vaishnava level, we do see this in some places. Can anybody think of any examples? Devotees who actually um, displayed revulsion about their own material body? Haridas Thakur and... Sanatana Goswami, anyone else? Chota Haridas, yeah, Chota Haridas too. He actually ended up committing suicide. He was uh, an, an offender. Anyone else? Which one? Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, Vaishnav humility. He says, my name, even if you just chant my name, you'll lose all your pious credits. You, you, if you go to like, place where people defecate this their stool there's like worms that live in the stool i'm lower than them <laughs> he literally felt like that he didn't say anything about suicide but he actually felt himself quite low so these are expressions of vaishnav humility actually jagai madai expressed this after they were they've been purified madai in particular reflecting back mother nidra did you have one the gopis and radharani did they actually express like that interesting when was that Krishna and Balaram left for the Kura. 
Yeah, they opened one to leave their bodies. I don't know if this discussed it so much there, but they felt the world was all vacant in Jesus' absence. Right. Yeah. So when Krishna blew his flute and called his eternal associates, the gopis, for the rasa dance, some were the ones who actually had some connection still to karma. They actually, uh, some little tiny trace, they were, they were the ones who were forbidden from going by their husbands and relatives. And it's described by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur that the pain they felt by not being allowed to be with Krishna burned off all the remnants of their bad karma. And the ecstasy they felt by closing their eyes and meditating on Krishna in their heart burned off all the resi residue of their good karma. And they actually chose to stay there and they were willingly left their body like a great yogi, like Bhishmadeva, like Sati is actually going to do. So that's an extremely high thing. <laughs> but just to point out that at this very high level, for a variety of reasons, uh, one may want to leave one's body, particularly when we're dealing with the, the, the manifestations of disgust. So Madhai, he was disgusted by himself after he uh, was purified and elevated to Krishna Prema. Without exaggeration, he was actually enjoying and tasting Krishna Prema at this time. But he would periodically, in a mood of repentance, um, without losing his status of being a Premi Bhakta, reflect on how he had actually wounded Lord Nityananda, and he considered himself an offender. So he approached Lord Nityananda and said, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm constantly feel like an offender. And Nityananda basically said, you're forgiven. But if you want to do something, you can build a bathing hut and uh, serve the Vaishnavas. And Madhai said, I don't even know who to serve. I've offended so many people. I'm not sure who they are. <laughs> I was drunk at the time. All these things. I don't even remember. It could be every, anybody, everybody. And Nityananda said, everyone takes a bath. Just build a bathing hut and stay there. And whenever anybody comes, just hold your hands and say, whoever you are, I I'm probably have offended you. Please forgive me and make use of this bathing hut. I'm your servant. Build a Mangal Thakur. Wow. He, he was definitely disgusted. So he was struggling with sex desire um, and he made, a, he made a firm commitment never to actually give in to that feeling again. But according to the Leela, he did. And by looking lustfully at it, well, not just looking, but he was going to actually act on it. So he decided to take the, the hairpin of the woman that he actually was lusting after, and he gouged his own eyes out. Um, this is not to be imitated. So at the highest level, prema, for those in Krishna prema, um, the, the, the feeling of disgust or revulsion revolves around one's own deep humility. This is not low self-esteem. This is not um, any kind of material manifestation. It's what pastimes like Bilba Mangal Thakur are completely inconceivable to one in material consciousness. By the way, after doing that, he could still see the deities. He could actually experience darshan of the deities. Um, this is not a material experience. This is an extremely unusual circumstance. So for one at Krishna, the level of Krishna Prema, um, actually what they're experiencing is their own relative insignificance compared to Krishna. And that's an experience that can only be had when you're Krishna conscious. Because how can you know how you stack up against Krishna unless you know who he is, how great he is, and, and who you are? It's actually impossible. So for those who actually see that, they actually always have humility. It's inevitable. They can't help but realize that they're very small and insignificant. And that does occasionally manifest in the form of statements like Padre Raj Goswami saying, I'm lower than a worm and stool. Anybody who chants my name loses all their pious credits. It's not that his mom didn't give him enough hugs growing up or he just doesn't have any friends. No, it's just he actually really understands how great Krishna is. And he's overwhelmed by the magnitude of the service he's doing. He also says, my, my eyes are, are not working properly. My limbs are, are, are faltering and trembling. I'm so advanced in all years and still I write this book. This is a great wonderment to me. So when faced with that, He's realizing the enormity of the mercy he's receiving, of the mission he's receiving. He's just thinking of himself very insignificant. So moving down to a more mundane, prosaic, perhaps relatable level, disgust manifests in other ways. So we have this idea of uh, dishonor is worse than death. Anybody ever heard this? Actually, it's in the Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna is, he's thinking like this. And... Um, 
Krishna actually uses this in the, at the beginning of his preaching strategy to get Arjuna to do the right thing. The right thing, of course, is to do what Krishna wants him to do. But in order to actually present the science of, well, Arjuna, you're my devotee, and I'm the personality of Godhead, and you're an eternal spiritual being, and your connection with me is by nature one of always doing what is favorable for my service. Before getting there, he starts with these more material conceptions. Oh, okay, Arjuna, they're going to call you impotent, klebia. They're going to make fun of you. Your reputation, you remember how you defeated Lord Shiva and you got his uh, Pashupata weapon and you got these different weapons and you got the weapons of Indra, this and that. You're such a great fighter, it's going to be gone. All that reputation is going to be gone. Your, the reputation of your family, destroyed because they'll have this useless loser, Arjuna, that'll carry the way down the uh, family reputation. It's there in the 10th canto too. I forget who it was. Was it Pradumna or one of the other uh, sons or grandsons of Krishna? His, his charioteer actually takes him away from the battle when he was, it was Pradumna. He was mortally wounded and he had, he had fallen unconscious and his charioteer did his duty and took him away. And when he came to, he saw he wasn't in the midst of the battle. He says, what have you done? Better I have died. <laughs> Go just make fun of me. And his charioteer says, my Lord, duty. So this Kshatriya honor is there. So for one who's on that level of uh, deep consideration of bodily material purity, they may actually prefer to die than to experience some dishonor. Now, this is actually um, part of being on the karmic platform. Not that Pradumna was on the karmic platform, or even that Arjuna was, although he was playing the part of one. But they're showing that in the Leela, and we're actually able to appreciate this because there's actually three different bodies in the material world. There's the spiritual body that we actually are, in the spiritual context, but in the material context, there's three different bodies. There's the stula sharira, which means the gross uh, sharira body, and that's what you can see. Ten fingers, you know, ten toes, that kind of thing. And that can be pure, purified or, or not pure. There's the linga sharira, or the uh, sukshma sharira, which means the subtle body. Uh, our mind, our moods, the different kinds of manifestations like that. That can also be relatively pure and true. And there's the karana sharira, the causal body, which causes our actual entrance into material life. That's the false ego. Karana means cause. It's the supreme cause of our actually having a material experience with a subtle body and gross body. So. Karma, Gyan, and Bhakti deal with these in different ways. Karma can only really deal with your gross situation. Karma can purify your external body. And you, know, you can take a shower, and to some degree you can deal with the subtle body. But it's really very external. It has to do with the, the gross body. And one who's very interested, and doesn't even deal with the, the karana sharira at all, the causal body. One who's very interested in karma, who's situated only on karma, has to be very gross bodily conscious. They have to be very aware of their own body and the bodies of others. And they judge on the basis of that. They make divisions on the basis of that, clean and unclean, tall and short, male and female. Um, one of the reasons why in today's society there is actually so much difficulty that some people have in understanding the manifestation of transgendered persons is because there's so much on the bodily platform and they think in terms of duality. There's only male and female. They can't actually appreciate that these, the, the gross body and subtle body also intermix and there's different categories on that basis. And so they'll actually have a revulsion reaction based on that. You know, oh, there's a person who's not exactly male, not exactly female, the way I'm used to, they'll experience revulsion. Because they're on the karmic material platform, that's inevitable. Um, there are actually like all kinds of persons, even historical authors like H.P. Lovecraft, who demonstrated a great deal of disgust in his psychological makeup. And if you study about him as a person, he actually had a morbid fear of anybody who was not a Caucasian English person. He had, like, even by the standards of the 19, I think, 30s or 20s when he lived, he had a really over-the-top level of racism. Um, he was an anti-Semite. He was, it was just full of revulsion. If you study the psychology of Adolf Hitler, actually, and how he managed to do what he did. Actually, Adolf Hitler had, for his whole life, a very, very exaggerated disgust reflex. He was very sensitive to things that made him feel grossed out. 
uh, insects, unclean situations. And he, he pushed that, as well as his revulsion at what the German people were going through, onto the Jews. And he created a, one of the worst atrocities in human history because of disgust. That was a karmic experience. It was a bodily experience. In his body, he actually felt disgust. Um, and because he didn't know anything more than that, he just went that way. So this is uh, the lowest level. A karma can purify that, can purify your external circumstances. But it's a very insignificant form of yoga, relatively speaking. Gyan is higher. Gyan deals with primarily the linga sharira, sukshma sharira, the subtle body. We actually come to realize, through purification of the subtle body, that there's a difference between our self and our gross body. And ultimately, you can realize there's a difference between yourself and your subtle body after a great deal of work. Usually it takes many births. But devoid of bhakti, one can't actually realize their own personhood and they can't realize the supreme person. So the causal sharira remains because one continues to be uh, indifferent to the lotus feet of Krishna. Aruya, how does that verse go? Yene Arvindaksha Vimuktamanyas Payasthapavad Avishuddha Pratyaha Aruya Kritrena Param Padam Tata because they're anadrita, they don't actually show adra, it's like the word adoration. They don't show respect and adoration for Krishna. Persons who are otherwise perfect by realizing they're not their body have to fall down again because that karma sharira is still there, the causal body, the false ego that forces them to actually consider. It doesn't force them, they're actually fundamentally motivated to consider themselves as being independent from Krishna. That'll bring them down again to the material platform. But bhakti deals with all these things because it deals with the karna sharira. It goes to the, the cause, the real cause of our, our bondage, which isn't our gross body, actually. It's not our subtle body, which is the cause of our gross body. It's our, it's our actual fundamental indifference to service to Krishna. So I'm saying all this because when we talk about disgust, we have to talk about forms of purification. And therefore, there's these little different levels of purification. So the pure devotee, the premi-bhakta, has nothing left to purify. Their expression of revulsion is completely on the level of Krishna prema. It's simply an expression and manifestation of Vaishnav humility. For the level of one in practice, they, they remember these, these four things. To stay lower than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, not expecting respect and always giving respect, so that they can always chant Hare Krishna. And for one who is actually able to always chant Hare Krishna, it is universally so that they actually are experiencing these four things. It's a concomitant factor of Premipaktas. So that's there, but others actually take shelter of these one of these three different levels. And um, we talked a little bit how, how the, at the lowest level, when one is very karmically conscious, they're going to experience impurity about their own self, really in terms of their gross body. And that manifests in weird ways, whether you're Adolf Hitler or H.P. Lovecraft or just somebody who has an aversion to unclean spaces and becomes like phobic about that. That's actually a manifestation of recognizing the basic impurity of the material world <laughs> and our material existence, but at the same time identifying deeply with one's body and not being able to do anything about it. So, all this by way of pointing out that there is no solution on the material platform for impurity. There's no solution for unclean things and spaces and unclean bodies, especially our own, which we have to live in. If anybody's ever had this experience, if you want to imagine, if you deeply, deeply identify with your material body, but at the same time, you're keenly aware of how essentially unclean it always is, that's a horrifying experience. You know, there's a whole brand of horror called body horror. It's like a, a certain kind of way that movies and, and horror books and so forth will actually manifest revulsion by pointing out the, the, the disgusting reality of having a material body. And one who sees that and identifies with it has a big problem, a big problem. They have to experience revulsion pretty much all the time. One who sees that but doesn't identify with it is in a better position. So both, both Gyan and Bhakti actually can help with that by separating our own self from our material experience. I have these impurities, but they're not me, right? Just like 
at the highest level, Mahaprabhu is saying, I'm not a Brahmin, I'm not a Kshatriya, I'm not a Vaishya or a Shudra. I'm not any of these things, Grihastha, uh, Vanaprastha, Sannyasi, or, or Brahmacharya, none of these things. I'm just a servant of Krishna. But if you think about that, that includes all the nonsense things we may think we are. You know, I'm also not uh, male or female or transgendered. I'm not um, the lusty mind that's making me feel this way or angry. I am not the tendency to steal or cheat that I may have found in my own heart. I am not the hypocrisy that I have <laughs> in the corners that I don't want to show anybody. I'm none of those things. I'm none of the great things that I want to glorify, and I'm none of the horrible things. I'm actually none of those things at all. I'm only a servant of Krishna. And even again, you can understand that they're not these other things. They just don't know that they're, they're a servant of Krishna. So firstly, we have to actually realize that the material world is basically impure. The material body is basically impure, and that we're none of these things, actually. We're not, none of these uh, designations from the material world. But because we practice bhakti, we actually realize who we are. And part and parcel of that is becoming detached from our material, impure situation, and becoming more and more attached to Krishna. Otherwise, there's going to be one degree or another of uh, revulsion and a disgust reflex on a lower level which, as we pointed out, doesn't really help us. It's recognition of a problem without recognition of a solution. It just leads to depression, you know? It's like one of the reasons why uh, very sensitive, very intelligent persons will become comedians sometimes is because they recognize how messed up the world really is, how deeply, deeply screwed up it is, you know, using expression from the material world, how, how broken. But if they don't have a solution, they just become depressed which is not unusual for persons like that. Philosophers, too, before, back when there were such a thing as philosophers. <laughs> um, they would often commit suicide because their whole lifestyle was deep introspection and examination on the broken nature of reality. But they, on their own, couldn't come to a solution, which leaves them with, like, well, just sit here and be miserable or end it. Um, so that's the kind of dead end of material life. But we don't actually cultivate uh, hypersensitivity to the material condition. We cultivate attachment to Krishna, by which we actually become empowered to recognize what we can do about our material condition, do it, and be indifferent to the rest, and to invest really primarily in our service to Krishna, and to micromanage that, become obsessive about that, become very, very invested in that. How am I chanting my rounds for Krishna? That's a good meditation. How is Krishna dressed today? That's a great meditation. How is Krishna eating? That's really nice. Whether you're the cook or whether you're honoring the prasad, that's a meditation on Krishna. That's actually not different from, you know, really communing with him. So these kinds of experiences, what is the Bhagavatam saying? What does it mean to me? These kinds of experiences are useful for the sadhaka. And by being purified, we see that we actually become, first of all, empowered to recognize, oh, I really should take a shower like a couple times a day. And I really should do these things that help me be more materially pure, and also indifferent to the fact that basically I live in a material body that's never going to be completely pure, and I can't actually do anything about that. We become accepting of that and just do our best, because our existence doesn't depend on that. It's this burden we're carrying around. We have a material body. As long as I have it, it's full of blood. It's basically always producing stool. Um, it's doing all kinds of funky things. And it's amazing that I even get to live in it. Like, just living in the material world is, is crazy enough. So I, I kind of tolerate the fact that it's basically wonky all the time and do the best I can with it. And, you know, the rest of the time, it just fuels my own humility in approaching Krishna. Krishna, I'm here trying to serve you, but I can feel the movements of my bowels while I'm chanting Japa. Like, this is just such a strange and foreign experience for a, a, a spirit soul. Like, so it actually fuels their calling out to Krishna. Let me have a spiritual body to serve you. Let me actually realize your spiritual reality because I'm surrounded by matter. And that's a different kind of experience than the material revulsion of one who actually thinks they are their body but wants it to be clean and pure or thinks that their, their space should be clean or thinks they should be surrounded with people who look like them or dress like them or have the same bloodlines as them or whatever kind of crazy material idea they have. One is actually bondage and the other one is actually fuel for our sadhana, fuel for our calling out to that contrast between the spiritual experience we do actually get from our practice and the material experience we're really forced to get by virtue of our, our uh, momentum in the material world, previous karma, 
that fuels us to call out the Christian norm. And that's a purifying thing. So at this point, we'll stop and take reflections, comments, questions on, yes, on, uh, on disgust and revulsion and so forth and what it is and how to use it. stands out. And I was just thinking about that, that even kind of a little brand new, like, crisp, white, clean dough. contrast, you know, just he's also internal that's of mentality. Right. Yeah, somebody who's really in ignorance doesn't really know how fallen they are. They don't know what they're into. Yeah. The more purified you are, uh, the more you actually have a, a, a better contrast point. I like that, that the, the, the thought and sense of it is we're comparing Krishna actually, physical Krishna conscious to some degree. So then that, um, that in, any impurity that remains stands out. Yes. wondering about what we're actually supposed to learn like take from this because sati is rejecting her material body because it's it's not purified or it's connected with something you know contaminated so um but it sounds like from your class it's not you're not necessarily saying that i don't think but it seems like you know, why? Because Sati, she knows she's not the body, and yet she's rejecting it. Um, so what are, what sort of, you know, how are we supposed to? Okay. Well, the first point, so the gopis, so in the Leela of Krishna as gopis, there are different categories of gopis. Vishnu Chakravarti Bhagavan talks about them as purports the, the beginning of the, um, the 29th chapter of the Bhagavatam. And, um, so there's perfected gopis, there's, they're already sitta, they're already situated in Krishna prema. Um, they're descending from the spiritual world with, uh, with Radha and Krishna and all the other associates of Vrindavan, and they're coming and they're having these pastimes. And then there are persons who, having achieved Krishna prema, they take birth in um, Gokul Vrindavan, in whatever universe Krishna is about to appear in, from the bodies of gopis, and they actually get raised in that association, and they're basically being trained up. To, to develop love for Krishna. Now, Krishna Chakravarti Thakur expresses they're, they're bowing for Goku Vrindavan. There's no way they can actually fall down from that. But as part of the Leela, uh, if they have some trace that's there of impurity, then they're the ones who don't actually get to go to the, the Rasa Gangs. And that's burned off by them staying back, suffering the separation, but being ecstatic in the remembrance of Krishna and then leaving their body. And then they appear in Goku Vrindavan. 
Uh, so that's a very particular manifestation of Leela. That's not even like comparable to anything else. It's just a very specific situation where somebody who's um, bound to actually come to the pure state of Krishna Prema in uh, Goloka uh, leaves their body as part of that pastime. You know, that some could come and be with Krishna, some couldn't. And there's a reason why some could and some couldn't. It wasn't random. And that's the particular reason there. Uh, it doesn't really have to do with the disgust or, or revulsion thing. It has to, it's just kind of brought up in the context of, well, these people need to go to like a body and, and have that happen in their mind. So that's there. Now, as far as Sati, what do we have to learn here? And what does it mean for us? So, yeah, she realizes she's not her body. This is a. Uh, I mean, you can give a whole other class, a class I didn't give, but you, you could give a whole other class on how her feeling of disgust is an appropriate response to Vaishnava Bharat, and um, that's something we're enjoined to actually be sensitive to, and even hypersensitive to, rather than hypersensitive to the, the vagaries of this material world, which are always basically unclean. The, the contaminating influence of Vaishnava Bharat is so bad, we should be intolerant of that. We can be a little intolerant of have no room for a rampaging wild mad elephant to walk into our garden and rip everything apart. We should make tolerance for that. It's not, it's not possible for well just a little bit, just a little bit of Vaishnava Bharat and then on many days. No, it doesn't it's like really not acceptable at all. Uh, so much so that she actually feels in her realization of Shiva that I can't even keep this body on. Better I better I die. At the same time, the application for us isn't suicide because I was trying to make the point that Bhakti is so purifying that it deals with all these different different problems on every single level. It deals with the, the stula shudra, which is full of blood and all kinds of stula. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Stula means gross, and shudra means gross. Um, but it also deals with our sukshma shudra, the mind and so forth, and it also deals with our karma shudra, our basic, essential aversion to Krishna. Bhakti deals with these things. So, we're not sati, we're going to come to bhakti from all kinds of funky backgrounds, and we're going to have a lot of different impurities that will persist for some time, but the solution is to remain in bhakti, because I was trying to point, point out, present philosophically how it's the superior form of yoga to gyan and karma, and even that, that sense of revulsion and disgust that we do experience can be purified and, and directed in the right way. Um, we should be completely intolerant of Vaishnava Bharat, and we should be using our own realization of our fallen nature to fuel our sadhana and bhakti and fuel our surrender to Krishna to do more bhakti and do more purely and more selflessly. And that's the only real solution. If we try and take it on our own shoulders that I'm going to purify myself, that's a karmic mentality. If we try to like purify our circumstances and our body and our environment, that's also a karmic mentality. And if we reflect upon not the body and deeply like invest in that without actually seeing and accepting that I'm actually Krishna's servant, that's a gyanu mentality. Those things are not going to cut it for us. So um, disgust has its place. Recognizing our fallen nature has its place. But it's really just fuel for that fire of bhakti, the fire of sankirtan. So that's, I think, the most practical application of uh, this, what we're seeing here from Sati. That's why I chose to take the class in the direction I did. And then we'll take it online. Then Shankar can then take our last. So Madhavan Sundari says, correct me. So the point you make about material consciousness or ignorance being from the spiritual body, a.k.a. aversion to serving Krishna is interesting. The physical body and the subtle body are considered to come from ignorance. It must be that they manifest from spiritual body being averse to serving Krishna. Yeah, Ramanujacharya talks about that. Um, this, this doctrine of the three bodies is discussed. Barbara asked, 
Brother asks, how does chanting the Maha Mantra purify my various bodies? How does chanting the Maha Mantra purify my various bodies? Well, you're actually coming in contact with Krishna directly, whether we know it or not. He's not different from you standing. Except, actually, he kind of is different because he leans even more merciful. But you're actually right there next to him and Radharani. They're, they're there with you. That's incredibly purifying. That's the greatest bath. <laughs> That's the bath for all bodies. You actually, by proximity to Krishna, you realize him. And when you realize him, you're also realizing everything else. Your own self, as a servant of Krishna, you're realizing the nature of the material world. And that uh, transcendental knowledge which descends, and there's a whole philosophical presentation of how that works in the Chaitanya Um actually gives us the knowledge we need to become separate from our gross and subtle material experiences and gives us the, the, the sense of, uh, of transcendental ecstasy, uh, ananda, actually uh, nourishes us and supports us and, and directs us further to Krishna's service and gives us the strength to actually let go of the word things. So this ingress of knowledge and, um, and uh, strength coming from spiritual experience, um, the, the results that are described that come from chanting Hare Krishna. And that can, that, can, that can be there to different degrees, but even a little bit of that, even chanting a little bit of the Mahamantra, we see people often very quickly let go of some of the grosser habits. Um, and the more subtle ones take a little more time. But by gradual association with Krishna, by being with him more and more, especially in the mood of I want to be with him, and I want to serve him, um, especially up through the Mahamantra, which is the most practical way, because you don't have to have a deity and then have six different arches at a certain time of the day, and um, you don't have to be clean only to get on the altar or hold a fire sacrifice for the purpose of pure deity. You can chant anytime, anywhere, for any, you know, in any circumstance. So that constant association gradually uh, frees us from attachment to lower things and helps us become more and more attached to our actual identity as servants of Krishna, because we can see that when we're with him. He lets us see that. appreciated your answer to the notes question you know how is an impetus for service and I was just thinking of the example of Sanatana Goswami when he wanted to commit suicide by throwing his body underneath the Rafiatra cart it was number one it was coming from a place of I want to serve Krishna and this body is so abominable that it's not allowing me to serve Krishna properly therefore I want to abolish it so that I can get a better body to serve Krishna um, that was his motivation but even though that was his motivation Lord Chaitanya still said to him you have no right to do that because your body is my property and I'm using your body as I have plans for your body with service that I want to do with your body therefore you have no right to do that you have to use this body to serve me according to my will and my plan so I think that also is just a really good example for us how we can apply these teachings practically in our life because we might be feeling um, you know remorse or repulsion on a spiritual level of just wanting to serve Krishna more or on a material level of some kind of form of like self-loathing or something like that but no matter what we might be experiencing that is no excuse to not do our service it's actually the opposite, that it should humble us and, like you were saying, make us cry out even more to be engaged more in service. Yeah, these leaders are there to actually help us understand that we should never underestimate the power of bhakti. The, the other forms of yoga, they actually have very, very strict limitations, which is why persons on that level do often undertake things like drastic measures, like such as suicide or murder. You know, you hear about like honor killings, right? Or your family's contaminated because somebody did something you That's a completely karmic thing and no difference. I want to purify a situation so I just end somebody's life. That's nonsense. Bhakti is so powerful that nobody has to die. <laughs> the whole Jagai Bada Lila is there because the whole world is full of demoniac tendencies. And Lord Nityananda is accepting everybody and promoting them to the status of Krishna's service. So we have to take that and see very clearly how powerful Bhakti is and how it takes even the slightest qualification of sincerity 
and uh, elevates that, promotes that, magnifies that until it takes over and all these other things become gradually, they go away. So uh, certainly Sanatana Goswami, he was a very elevated person materially in his situation. Um, he, even the impurities he felt, were just too much to handle, but Mahaprabhu said, no, there's, there's nothing that's too much to handle in Bhakti. You should always just don't, don't avoid service. As he said, I have, I have so many things I want you to do. I want you to go to Vrindavan, you need to do this, you need to do that. And so now he was wanting to sit there like this, and he couldn't imagine his jaw dropping, like, oh my God, I'm going to write this and do that. And after he says this, Haridas and, and Sanatana Goswami turned to each other like, we don't even know what's going on. Mahaprabhu is just, my Lord, whatever you say, we're just completely like foolish persons here being played, played by you. Uh, because they could, they could actually see the depth of his plans and his own um, willingness to use every situation. Uh, and Haridas was from a very low situation. And he was doing incredibly powerful service. Experiencing depression? Well, besides going to morning program and chanting Hare Krishna. Well, bhakti is the is the ultimate solution. It's the long term solution. But if I have a broken bone and someone tells me just chant Hare Krishna, that's a little bit irresponsible. If they said stop chanting Hare Krishna, that's also irresponsible. But you should get your bone set because it'll create a more favorable situation for healing. Because I still think I am this body that's moving. A broken bone is going to be a problem. I can't be lugging around. You know, I can't be gouging my eyes out by holding all the tacos and sticks and beads. It's not going to happen. So there's medicine for the gross body. There's medicine for the subtle body. If you can find a situation to actually stabilize the subtle body, maybe, maybe it's therapy, maybe it's medicine, whatever it may be, that's supportive to practicing bhakti. We're not fanatics. We're not like some, some persons will refuse like blood transfusions for various reasons. We absolutely do not refuse blood transfusions for any earthly reason. If it supports our bhakti, we do it. Uh, and being depressed is definitely really, really hard. It makes bhakti very difficult. It's not a joke. It's an extremely intense experience. And it's, uh, it's one that can be dealt with ultimately by bhakti. But just like a broken bone, the ultimate solution is to learn how to enter a body, have a spiritual body. In the meantime, we have to deal with it. So we deal with it. It's very practical. I'm not, you know, qualified to see what that level is or how it looks, but we should be very practical, very, very practical. Prabhupada was extremely practical. All of our charts are very practical in dealing with material circumstances so that we can actually practice bhakti. Yes, Just briefly, what one thing extra besides the medicine, besides the program, um, one practical thing that you would do for that person? I would shower them with love and attention. Very nice, thank you. I would you. try as much as possible to make them feel really good. Because everyone needs that, especially persons in But everybody, it's a tough world. Um, and I would encourage others to do the same. Because uh, that'll, that'll keep people taking time with you. Even if they're not depressed, you can do that. I've been told. I'm still working on actually doing that. But there it is. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shrimad Ki Jai. Patitanam, Pavanikyo, Vaishnavikyo, Namonaha, Nepakoti Vaishnavrin, Kijai.